Good morning, everyone. Glad that you are here. I'm glad that we get this opportunity to share together, get to worship together, get to hear His Word together, get to uh, spend time together so that we may grow. Um, Our mission at New Horizon is to bring glory to God by loving Him the most, by loving one another as Christ loved us, by making disciples of all nations. Our vision is to have a clear pathway where that people are growing in those very things, loving God the most, loving each other more, and, and making disciples of all nations. Our values at New Horizon is love, grace, truth, and growth. The title of today's message is, Jesus is worth it because Jesus is better. Before we begin looking at these verses, 9 verses 1 through 14 of chapter 9, I want to take some time to look at some verses in the previous chapter and a couple from chapter 9 on the front end so that we may get an understanding, a clarity that will help us, I think, understand chapter 9 verses 1 through 14 more clear, more understanding of what the writer's trying to do as he writes this letter to the Hebrews. You see, and many times if you just wash over these chapters from chapter 7 uh, through chapter 9, you might could get the idea that the writer is speaking negatively about the Old Covenant. That he's speaking negatively about uh, the law. That he's speaking negatively about the, uh, the, the tabernacle. You might get, because he uses words such as this. He uses words such as weak, such as useless, such as unprofitable, such as it could not make us perfect. So he uses these words, and as I begin to think about that, and and just been thinking about it now for some time, you have to begin to ask yourself some questions. If that's what the writer means, did God make a mistake? Did he have the wrong plan? Did he have the wrong old covenant? Or were we messed up? Or we might have to answer the question of this. Did God one day in heaven say, this plan ain't working, we need another? See, I don't believe any of those things that I just said are true. But I want to share with you why I don't believe they're true and what I do believe is true that will help us to lead into and to walk into today's passage. We'll start with me looking at Hebrews chapter 7 verse 18. So for on the one hand, a former commandment is set aside because of its weakness and uselessness. This is what he was talking about when he was looking at the old covenant because of its weakness and uselessness. But the reality is, is in Romans chapter 8 verse 3, the scripture says, For God has done what the law weakened by what? So, so why was the old covenant weakened? Because of us, right? Not because of God. So when we think about the old law, we think about the old covenant being weakened because of our flesh, then we've got to lead to that question, okay, did this take God by surprise? Was God shocked (laughs) that we weren't able to do that? (laughs) Was He shocked that this didn't work out right? Well, I don't believe that. I believe that God is all-knowing. I believe that God is sovereign. And I believe God clearly knew and God clearly had a plan. 
But let's continue to think. Look at Hebrews 7.19. This is what he said. He said, for the law made nothing perfect. When we think about the word perfect, and, and the Hebrew writer uses this word over and over and over again. When we think about the word perfect, this is what the Hebrew writer is referring to. That we are reconciled to God himself, and that we are brought into his presence unhindered. There's nothing that hinders us from coming into his presence. We're completely reconciled to him. So the ideal of being made perfect is this, that we come into His presence. Think about Hebrews 4.16, right? We'll reveal this to us, right? Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Draw near with what? Confidence. With confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and and grace to help in time of need. Hebrews 8, 7 says this, For the first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Listen, and I want to remind you again, God is not up there looking for another play. He's not got a playbook. He's not Peyton Manning saying, What play am I going to run on third down? Okay, that's not what's going on here. He's not looking for another playbook he, he, he says for us for us he said people we should know and get that these things are not changing our hearts they're not changing our wills they're not changing our affections they're not changing our attitudes they're not changing our desires we're just living under them but they're not really ever changing us so if this is not working then God must have another one that's going to must look on for. Hebrews 8.13 said this. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one what? Obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. He's bringing in a new covenant that the old covenant is no more. Remember, the writer of Hebrews is dealing with who? Hebrews. And what are the Hebrews doing? Man, for thousands of years, they've been surrounded and going to this temple and this tabernacle for all of their life from generation to generation. It's been about the tabernacle. Everything has surrounded the temple. You say, well, someone might would say, well, the veil was rent from top to bottom. Well, listen, I want you to know they just repaired that thing and they continue to use that veil, not today, but as this book is being written, the temple was still in works and it was not destroyed until 70 A.D. after this book was written. So he's saying to them, so some of them are saying, I'm going to the temple today, I'm going to the temple to offer my sacrifice, I'm going to the temple to give my time, I'm going to my temple. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey guys, we've got a new temple. We've got a new tabernacle. We've got a new priest. And he's far better. Don't go back. Now I want you to see two more things before I get into the passage. He says the old covenant was a copy of... Oh, oh you're there. They serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, saying, see, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. 
You see, all that they had was just a picture and a type and a symbol of what was in heaven. And I'll talk about that more clearly as we get there. It said it again in Hebrews 9.9 as we'll get there today, which is symbolic for the present age. The tabernacle, the temple, the old covenant was symbolic of something that was in heaven already. So God made this covenant with the children of Israel, but the weakness of flesh prohibited them from being made perfect by it. But this covenant was a symbol, was a copy, was a pattern of heaven itself. It was a taste of what the new covenant would do perfectly. It did it partially, but not completely. It was a taste. It was almost like you could say, not yet. I would present to you today that the old company, the old covenant was a bridge that connected Abraham and Christ. A bridge to connect Abraham and Christ. Now, but let's continue to say, but still, okay, but what's the purpose of the law? Look at Galatians 3.19. 3.19 said... Why then the law? Paul asked the question, why then the law? Look at what he said. It was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediator. Listen to what he said. Why was it added? Because of transgressions. You've got Abraham that the Bible says that because of faith, because he believed God, it was counted to him for righteousness. But if we'd have jumped from Abraham straight to Christ, we'd have never understood our own sinfulness and our need for a Savior. So the law was put in so that you and I could understand exactly how sinful we are, exactly the wrong in our life, exactly that we need a Savior because we can't change who we are. So the law was put in. Look, look, Galatians 3, 24, I think it is. It tells it even a little clearer. So then the law was our guardian. Now watch this. You know what a guardian was in Paul's day? A guardian was a slave that was given the task of taking care of his owner's kids. He cared and took care of their education, their daily needs, watch this, and their disciplinarian, disciplinary actions. Their guardian was their disciplinarian. So much so that the kids longed for the day that they could graduate and no longer need a guardian. So the law for us was a guardian to discipline us, to guide us where we didn't know where we were at, to bring us to a specific time that Christ 
would then come and bring the new covenant. The first covenant was given by God and was good. It was a pattern and a copy of heaven. It guarded us until we could graduate unto Christ. And he is writing to the Hebrews. He's not saying that it was bad because it was not bad. It was given by God and it was good. And we're going to look at how it was good today. But what he's saying is it was just a bridge. Don't stay there. You see, this is what we do as people, and this is what was going on in the Hebrews. Instead of allowing things to point us to Christ, we make the things that point us to Christ idols. Sometimes church becomes an idol for folks. Sometimes a style of music becomes an idol for church, for folks. Sometimes a pastor becomes an idol for folks. Sometimes a truth that you believe becomes more of an idol than Christ himself. All of these things point us to Christ, but if we're not careful like the Hebrews, we can find ourselves digging in here and worshiping the very things that should be pointing us to the one who's only worthy of worship, and that's Christ himself. Be careful. People have not changed. Adam and Eve is still our mother and father. And we all act a lot alike. And so he's challenging the Hebrews. Don't go back. Don't go back. Jesus is better. Now look with me at Hebrews 9. Hebrews 9. We're going to begin to answer some questions further about this, to talk about this. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship in the earthly place of holiness. See, the first, it was about, so think about that. The first covenant had regulations for worship in a holy place. An earthly place of holiness. Verse 2. For a tent was prepared, the first section, in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of presence. It is called the holy place. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place, having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold, in which was the golden urn holding manna, Aaron's staff that budded, and the tablets of the covenant. Above it were the cherubims of the glory, shadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Spoke pretty much in detail, but what the writer was saying is, I don't have time, but Chris is going to take a little time to look at this. Okay? Can you show? I think I've got a picture of the tabernacle up there. Mallory. Okay. Do you see this? I know the writing's not the best, but... Okay. This... Let me get on the right side. This is where it all started outside. This is the burnt offering. This is where the animals were killed, were, were cooked, were offered. This was the wash basin. This is where the priest would wash after he's killed the animal. He would enter into the door of this first place, the first section. It's the holy place. On this side was the bread. 
Actually, there was 12 loaves of bread. Each loaf of bread represented a, a tribe of Israel. On this side was the menorah, the candelabra. Okay, can I ask you a question? Jesus said these words to us. I am what? I am the bread of life. Jesus also said what? I am what? The what of the world. This is the altar of incense that was the prayers into the saints. If I was to say to you, right now in heaven, Jesus is doing what for us? Interceding for us. The priest would work, we'll talk about that in a moment, but the priest worked in here every week. The bread had to be changed every week. The lights had to continually be lit. The, the, the altar of incense was burning. And then one time a year, not just any priest that worked here, but a descendant of Aaron would enter behind the veil right here. And this is the Ark of the Covenant. The ark that Noah entered into did what for his family? It spared them from the wrath of God that was on the outside. The ark is representation of us being in Christ. Christ is our ark. When you and I are in Him, we are spared from the wrath of God. We're spared from the judgment of God. But he went on to talk about what was in there. There was an urn filled with manna, with bread from heaven. It was sent down from heaven. Christ was what? Sent from heaven, was he not? Listen, not only was he sent from heaven, but you've got that. And then you've got the rod, Aaron's rod, that, but it was a stick that bloomed. Who did that? Christ did that. He died and God resurrected him from the grave. Alive. Also in there were the tablets of the law. And Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. Jesus didn't show up and say, Hey guys, the law's no good anymore. Don't worry about that. No, Jesus came and said, Man, I have fulfilled it. It is done. It is complete. And I have written it on your hearts and on your minds that it may be in you. Now hear me. What does this reveal to us? What does the old covenant reveal to us? I've got a few things that I want to share that I believe it reveals to us. First one I want you to believe that it reveals to us is how holy God is. You say, why do you say that this reveals how holy God is? Do you know that there are over 50 chapters in the Old Testament given to these blueprints? This was all about you and I coming into the presence of God. If we're going to sacrifice animals and we're going to wash and we're going to light candles and we're going to have bread and we're going to burn incense and one time a year we're going to place blood on the mercy seat in order that we may experience the, 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 the presence of God in our life, God is way more holy than any of us can ever imagine. 
God's holiness is unbelievable. It's exceedingly abundantly above anything that we've ever considered in our lives. He is so holy, so holy. So holy that when Moses was on the mountain and they said, don't even touch the mountain where God's at. So holy that when he come down and the people got tired of waiting and they made a golden calf, that 3,000 of those people died that day. I'm talking about the holiness of God is what's revealed. In the old covenant. And without the old covenant, you and I don't see or understand or know the holiness of God. Now, second thing is this I want you to see. It's not just about the holiness of God, but this is also about the sinfulness of man. You and I, without the Old Covenant, don't have a clue of how sinful that we are. Let me read ahead in Hebrews. I want you to, I'm just going to read ahead for just a moment. In verse number 7, he said, But into the second only the high priest goes, and he, he but once a year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself, for the unintentional sins of the people. What in the world is unintentional sins? What in the, what, your version may say sins of ignorance. What in the world is unintentional sins? What in the world is ignorant sin? Listen, I want you to get that I believe this with all of my heart. Just as I believe we have no idea how holy God is. Just as I believe He's holier than anything we could ever imagine. To the point that sinful men and holiness of God come together. They can't stay together. Sinful men will die every time. Isaiah made this clear, right? Isaiah made this clear when he said, Lord, I seen the Lord high and lifted up. And in that dream, he said, man, I fell as a dead man. And I said, woe unto me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Just as we have no idea how holy God is, I want you to get this. You and I have not yet imagined how sinful we are. There's a sinfulness about us. I know. You say, Chris, this ain't. I, I want to come to church today to feel good and feel better. We will, I promise. We'll get there because Jesus is good news. Because <laughs> Jesus is good news. We'll get there. But the reality is the old covenant revealed to us that, man, we're sinful to a depth and a reality that you and I have not even considered or thought about. I mean a sinfulness that goes deep that we don't even see or understand. It's a depth. That's why I can say with certainty that the best three minutes of my life deserve hell. The best three minutes of my life deserve hell because there's a sin in me that's deep and ugly and I don't even know and realize it's there. It ain't even showed itself yet. What if it does? 
Those are two things. The holiness of God. The sinfulness of man. Go back to the picture, Mallory. Thank you. Cameraman, I'm sorry I've got you all fouled up today. I'm sure it looks good. Not only does the old covenant reveal to us the holiness of God, not only does it reveal to us the sinfulness of man, but it reveals to us that this holy God wants to have intimate relationship with this sinful people. It reveals that God is saying, I want you. And I want to live in relationship with you. I want to love you. I want to enjoy you. I want you to enjoy me. I want us to have the time of our life. It re reveals that God wants this. Can I tell you what else? Well, I want to tell you one more thing that I believe the Old Covenant reveals. <clears throat> Is our weakness will never shut down God's plan. Our decisions will never thwart what God has planned. God gave a covenant by weakness flesh. It just revealed how sinful we were and how holy we were. But God did not stop there. It was just a bridge to take us to where we're going. Look further with me. Now, begin in verse number 6 of Hebrews 9. These preparations having thus been made, the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. They do that regularly. But into the second, the high priest goes, but, he, but once a year... Once a year, he does this every year, not without taking blood, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. There's that verse again. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened as long as the first section is still standing. Will you show the picture again? Aaron would meet with God here. As long as this was still open, the presence of God being for everybody who's out here is hindered. See, the old covenant could only take us here one time a year with one person. It couldn't take us, it couldn't take all of us into the presence of God permanently, eternally, and forever. It was just part way. You literally could say this about the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant was a picture of what God was going to do permanently and eternally. But it was not yet. Not yet. It went part of the way, but not all the way. It was a picture and a type of what it was going to be, but it hadn't been accomplished yet. Let's continue to read verse 8. 
I think I already read it, but I'm going to read it again. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy place is not yet opened, as long as the first section is still standing, which is symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifice are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. You see, come back to the picture, Mallory. So I'm trying, though the tech team deserves a raise. I'll double it. I'll double y'all's salary. Yeah, that means they get zero. (laughs) No, listen. God will double it. It'll be more than I could ever give you. Listen, it could get us here one time a year. But it could never make, think about this. They would travel, seven feasts, they would travel day. They'd come and buy their pigeon or buy their lamb or buy water, have it offered. He'd take the blood in for them. They'd participate. They'd pay their tithes. They'd do their thing. But listen to what it never did. It never changed their heart for God. And it never changed their heart for each other. Rituals and religion will never change your heart. And you can be as religious in a Baptist church as you can be religious in a Hebrew tabernacle. You can have ceremonies and rituals that you do time and time again, but you can still leave here not really loving God and not really loving people and not really honoring God. But God desires what? A change. It's a new covenant that changes our wills, our affections, our desires, our wants. Doesn't make us perfect, just changes us. Now we have to continue. Look at this. <clears throat> but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations. I'm in verse 10. You're there. For the body imposed upon the time till the time of reformation. It was the guardian to take us there. Verse 11. Thank God for verse 11. Verse 11 has got to be the best verse in Hebrews. But when Christ appeared. If you're reading. If you're keeping up with the reading plan. I'll give you some homework this week. In chapter 9. Mark every time that it says. Christ appeared. And look at each of the appearings. Don't do it now. Come on, we're still in these first 14 verses. But when Christ appeared, look at Galatians 4 4. Can you get there? But when the fullness of time had come, Would, 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 would you hear me out? God didn't look to Jesus and say, Boy, we messed up on that first covenant. Let's do another one. God didn't say, Boy, this ain't working out. We're going to have to do something different. At the very exact time, this is what he said. He said, The folks are about to graduate from their guardian. It's time for the new covenant to begin. 
and at a very specific time. Listen, we can say what we want to. We don't think God works in time. God works in time. He just doesn't work in our time. At a very specific time, God sent His Son. At the exact time, at the perfect time, at the right time. He sent him, born of a woman, born under the law. But I want you to look clear, closer with me at this verse. Verse 11. He appeared as a high priest of good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands. That is not of this creation. More perfect tent, not made with hands. He entered once and for all into the holy place. Look at John 1.14. I want you to see something here. Yeah. I'm messing you note takers up. I'm messing everybody up because I'm just following the Lord and I've just rearranged my whole message today. And the Lord became flesh and dwelt. Hey, Mallory, can you circle that word dwelled or something? Can you do that? You can do that, right? I've seen y'all do that before. Let Matthew at the computer. There it is. That's close right there. That's flesh. What about dwelt, Mallory? There you go. There you go. That's what I'm looking for right there. Do, do you know what this word means in the Greek language? It means tabernacle. It's the same word used for tabernacle. See, God sent forth His Son at an exact time, at a perfect time, at a right time. And He sent Him in the flesh to tabernacle among us. I told you last week, I told you last week that Jesus did not enter the tabernacle the most qualified person to enter the tabernacle. He didn't enter the tabernacle. You know why he didn't enter the tabernacle? Because he was the true tabernacle. You see, the tabernacle was not a pattern or a symbol of a building in heaven. It was a pattern and a symbol of a person in heaven. It was Jesus. What they were building there, listen, in the wilderness or that tabernacle, it was a picture of Christ, God's own Son. It was Him. He's the, he is every bit of that tabernacle. And then you know when you look at that thing from 10,000 feet in the sky and you look down on it, it makes a perfect cross. He was all of that. Show that picture, Mallory. Some of them don't believe me about the cross. I want to show it. Look, guys. It's the cross in the wilderness. That tabernacle was Christ. There wasn't a building in heaven they was making it after. There was a person in heaven. And he came to dwell. He came to tabernacle among us. Will you look further at what he did? He entered, verse 12, He entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. 
when the sinfulness of man and the holiness of God meet together, the sinfulness of man dies every time. Every time that priest entered in to that holiest of holy every year, he didn't know whether he's coming out alive or not. He's hoping for the blood of bulls and goats and calves. And he's hoping that they wasn't just any bull or calf. He's hoping that they're the best. That they're the show quality. That they're the right quality. He's hoping that, man, this one had the right bloodlines and it meets all the standards and it's going to satisfy my father. Listen, Jesus in every way was perfect. He fulfilled the law. He never was disobedient. He never missed the will of God. He was completely perfect and without any sin in his life. Jesus was that perfect. And how did John the Baptist introduce him to his friends? Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. There he is, guys. That's the perfect one. That's the perfect one. That's the perfect tabernacle. That's the perfect priest. That's the, he is Everything and he is perfect and supreme and above everyone and everything. He didn't stop there. In verse 13, he wants us to understand again that for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of a defiled person with ashes of a heifer sanctify. It sanctified them. It purified them. It worked. It, it covered them. It kept them from the wrath of God for another year, for another time, for another finish. It did it. It did it. But look at verse 14. Verse 14. says, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, how much more, how much better, how much greater, how much more real If, if the offering of the blood of bulls and goats took care of them for a year to year, what more will Christ's blood do? Let me tell you what more will do. Every sin that I have ever committed, every sin that I, have, that I will ever commit, every sin that's in me that I don't know about, has been taken away, not covered, has been taken away by the blood of Christ. Jesus is better. Show the picture again, Mallory. Jesus is better because these guys worked from here to here to here to here and one time a year got to come into the presence of God. But because of Jesus, you and I start in here. We start 
in His presence. Because of His blood, we're brought near, unhindered, into His presence, fully reconciled. All of our sin completely paid for. Any that you've not even thought about. Any that you might commit before the day's out. Some that are being committed right now in your thought life across this room. It's been paid for by His blood. Taken away from us. Look. And He said... Purify our conscience. Watch this. From dead works. From dead works. From dead works. Will you look back at the picture again? The works done it. The works purified. The works done it for another year. The works, but it wasn't unhindered and it wasn't complete and it didn't finish. So it wasn't therefore perfect, but it was what God used as a stepping stone to get us there. But why would He speak of dead works concerning this? Because it was works that never made anybody alive. We're dead in our trespasses and sins and until the Spirit of God resurrects us from the dead. And it won't happen because you turn over a new leaf or you start going to church or you do some ritual. It happens because you believe and receive the gift that Jesus has given only. No other way. All other works are dead. No other works makes us alive. And that is not works. It is just receiving what He has given for us. And then we will what? We will serve a living God. Come back to the picture. I know, worship team, I get you up here and then I can't quit. If we start here, we do what? We work our way back out. We work our way back out with prayers, with being the light of the world, with being, with being the bread of life, with, with washing ourselves, listen, in the Word of God, and, and giving ourselves as a sacrifice to Him, as Romans 12, 2 says. Start in. But now, we work our way out. And it's living works then. It's living works. Why? Because we're brought into the presence of God. All of us. As we meditate, I want you to meditate on this quote. Tim Keller had as much impact on my preaching and my understanding of the gospel as anybody I know. And he's in heaven today. But when we think about what Jesus' blood, will you meditate on this prayer that Tim prayed? Father, my mind knows the doctrine that my salvation and standing with you depends not on my works because my works are dead, but they depend on Christ's works. Yet my heart doesn't fully believe it. 
So I go back and forth between pride and self-loathing. When I'm doing good, I'm prideful and I think I'm putting you in my debt. When I'm self-loathing, I'm just mad at myself because I don't feel like I'm doing the right things. Let my heart fully grasp that salvation is from the Lord. In our meditation time, may our hearts fully grasp what Christ, our tabernacle, and everything in it, our high priest, and our lamb did. For us. Okay. 
individually. He is worthy of our praise. He gave us the very breath that we breathe. So I want to do the chorus a couple of times, but with every plural pronoun, I want to change it to a personal one. teaching on Noah on Sunday evenings right now and boy I love what's being taught it's such a picture of the gospel when Noah and his family they get all the animals into the ark and Noah and his family goes in and, and God shuts the door Rodney coined this phrase he said he put some Holy Spirit flex seal around the door couldn't leak see this is what happens, guys, because of Christ's blood. You and I are placed in Christ. He's our ark. And God shuts the door. And because we're in Him, we died with Him. Because we're in Him, we resurrected with Him. Because we're in Him, to God, we were obedient completely to the Father. And because we're in Him, the, the Father sees no sin in us. Everything is because we're in Christ who is our ark. And it's because of His love. So as we take communion this morning, golly, oh the blood. On the night that He was betrayed, He took the bread and He broke it. And he said, take and eat, for this is my body. And then he took the wine and he blessed it. He said, this ought to mean so much to us today. Take and drink, for this is the blood of a what? A new covenant that, that purifies our old conscience to serve a living God. worship in this last song. Fulfill the law and prophets to avert. 
till the stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death, and the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe, for the souls of all who come to the Father are restored, and the church of Christ was born, in the Spirit lived the flame, now the gospel truth of hope. scripture that hit me was in all things through Christ. I can do all things through Christ. Um, when I hear these stories of redemption, when I hear Pastor Chris' sermon, we can do all things through Christ. Go out this week, have a great day, and we love you. Amen.